Support for Living on Earth comes from listeners like you. To make a donation, please use the link to the left of this webpage. And thanks. It's Living on Earth. I'm Bruce Gellerman. A bottlenose dolphin is about as closely related to a gorilla as a mouse is to an elephant. But according to the authors of a new book, Beautiful Minds, The Parallel Lives of Great Apes and Dolphins, those animals and we humans have a lot in common. We're mammals, we have big brains, complex social lives, communicate, and can use tools. Madalena Bayarzi, a dolphin biologist, is co-author of the book. These dolphins basically use a sponge and they put it on the top of their uh, beak uh, to protect themselves for uh, abrasive sand of toxic animals they can find uh, on the bottom when they look for food. I recently spoke with Madalena Bayarzi and her co-author, primatologist Craig Stanford, about dolphins and apes. Here you have these two animals that we're all familiar with, uh, and we think of them as being just utterly different. What could be more different than an animal that lives in the ocean, is shaped like a cruise missile, doesn't have any arms or legs in, in a real sense, and then you have another animal that it lives in the forests of Africa and Asia and kind of looks like us but with lots of body hair. And in fact, there are striking parallels. And so we wrote the book because there's an emerging awareness in the scientific community and maybe not yet in the public of just how interestingly similar and parallel these two very different mammals are. And of course, what they tell us about the origins and the nature of, of human intelligence and of human nature. Dolphins and whales, cetaceans in general, are very smart. They have a lot in common with us. They can form alliances, uh, how we do. They have uh, extremely complex uh, society, um, how we describe in the book. They can be clever politicians. I guess the key question is, how do we define intelligence? I mean, intelligence is probably best defined in evolutionary terms as being a survival skill. And so you have a lot of animals out there in the world that, of course, lower animals don't need intelligence to cope with their day-to-day -day, uh, struggles. And they have done very well for some of them hundreds of millions of years with tiny, tiny brains. For humans and our closest relatives, and also for this other group of animals, the dolphins, big brains are highly adaptive. They're highly useful and important in, in increasing their reproductive success and in increasing their survival success. Magdalena Bayarzi, you write that dolphins not only have language, but that there was a neurophysiologist, John Lilly, who said he could speak dolphinese. Yes, exactly. Uh, John Lilly in the 60s thought they could uh, talk to dolphins, so spend uh, a lot of time with these animals uh, in captivity, trying uh, to break uh, this language barrier between human and dolphins. Things didn't go too well, um, unfortunately, but uh, dolphins have uh, some uh, type of language that is not exactly like ours. When you do research, you can put hydrophone in the water and listen to the whistle of these dolphins. We discovered um, a few years ago that these animals can even have signature whistle. And uh, basically, signature whistle are uh, sounds that they emit to recognize uh, each other. What about the great apes? Do they, do they have languages? Well, in their natural environment, you know, in an African forest, let's say, then they have a very complicated communication system. They, chimpanzees use long calls, long-distance calls to stay in touch with each other. They have short contact calls that indicate everything from submission to anger and so forth. They don't have what we would call language in human terms, except 
in artificial settings where you've had baby chimps and other great apes reared in human homes as though they were human children. And in those cases, uh, many famous studies have been done showing that they do develop you know, rudimentary language capabilities uh, using sign language or using some other means of communication because they just don't have the mechanical means in the tongue and the palate and so forth to actually speak. Uh, but they develop language to the level of, let's say, a human toddler, which is, which is quite a profound thing. How is your grade ape sign language? How is my grade ape sign language? Not nearly good enough. And I've actually, I've had very, very, you know, trivial little conversations uh, in sign language with some of the famous sign language using chimps like Washo, but using a translator because I don't speak sign language. And Dr. Bayartzi, can you whistle like a dolphin? I try sometimes, but it doesn't seem to work very well. Give me an example. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. Oh, excellent. I've never heard that before. Uh, Delaney Bayartzi, what do you think of um, these places where you can swim with the dolphins? I'm actually, and probably the public won't like my answer, but I'm actually very contrary to um, swimming with the dolphins. Uh, um, if you look at dolphins in the wild, these animals uh, uh, live uh, in a... a open environment. Uh, uh, they have this extremely complex society. If you put this animal in a tank to allow people to swim with the dolphins, you really take away a lot of their life. Sometimes these animals come close to us because they are curious, even when we do research, but we need to respect their environment. We need to respect their habitat. You write in the book that the dolphins uh, at one point formed a ring around a girl who was trying to commit suicide by drowning herself in the ocean. You say they protected her. And I'm wondering, did, did they know what they were doing or is it us interpreting what they were doing? Yeah, it's uh, very difficult to say. Um, the dolphins uh, form—it's uh, true—it form a ring around this girl, uh, and then they left uh, after we took the girl uh, that was actually committing suicide uh, in our boat to save her. Um, it could be just uh, our interpretation. Uh, it's uh, there are uh, many cases uh, in the past where uh, dolphins are taught to save humans, uh, but uh, we don't really have a scientific proof for that. There are four species of great apes, right? Yes, there are gorillas, orangutans, bonobos, and chimpanzees. And, and you write what, there's just about a quarter of a million left on the planet. Yeah, I mean, there are seven billion people today, and uh, chimpanzees are the most numerous of the great apes in the wild, and they number uh, probably fewer than 200,000 in the wild, and all of the, the other three great apes have been reduced to only in the, a few thousand or tens of thousands per species. The same things is happening for dolphins. Most of the species are threatened or endangered species. Uh, for the first time, uh, we are seeing a species of dolphins uh, getting extinct under our own eyes. Uh, the, um, it's a rival dolphin on the Yangtze River in uh, China. The, the problems facing the great apes today mostly revolve around habitat loss, you know, forests being cut down, and then also direct human problems like hunting because bushmeat, which is a term Americans tend not to know, is a profound problem for the great apes. Uh, chimps and gorillas and bonobos are eaten, and their meat is sold at very high prices in African markets. One of the main reasons, I think, why Craig and I wrote this book is not only to talk about all the parallel uh, of this amazing animal, they are so close to us, but also to bring attention to the public uh, 
the status in which this animal found themselves today. Well, I want to thank you both very much. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. Magdalena Bayarzi is co-founder and president of the Ocean Conservation Society. Craig Stanford is co-director of the Jane Goodall Research Center at USC. Their new book is called Beautiful Minds, The Parallel Lives of Great Apes and Dolphins.